Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. You're listening to the best of Catholic Connection with Teresa Tamio. Welcome to Catholic Connection with Teresa Tamio, keeping you connected to your faith and your world. Teresa tackles the issues of faith and culture, the pro-life message, and media awareness. And now, here's Teresa Tamio. Welcome back, Catholic Connection. Our friends at the uh, Beckett Law Fund, beckettlaw.org, slash index for the report on the annual Religious Freedom Index, just released this week. Very important information about religious freedom and how we feel about it. This is an American perspective. On the phone with us is Caleb Lyman. He's the director of research at Beckett. So tell us, any good news in there? We could use some good news this morning, Caleb. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah, thank you for having me. I think there definitely is a lot of good news in the report this year. It's been a trying year, no doubt, for, for, for everyone. And in the index report, we find that Americans are holding steadfast to their support for religious liberty. And we find, you know, the Constitution doesn't take a day off uh, during a pandemic, and neither does people's support for religious freedom. So I think that's definitely positive news. Um, and there are a lot of other findings here that are room for, that leave room for uh, encouragement and also reflection that show people are drawing on their religious identity to face these challenges, and as well as drawing that, that religious experience to look ahead to the future for the challenges that they'll face. So I think there's a lot of good in there. There are three themes that emerge, and just let me, we can go over them one by one if we have time, but let me just uh, outline those three themes. Americans weather storms anchored by faith. Americans are anchored in their opinions on religious freedom, just as religious sustains them through difficult times. Religious identity cannot be quarantined. Religion is part of who Americans are, not just something they do. Respondents support protections that reflect the reality of religious identity. And the third theme that kept coming up, leadership gaps in defending racial justice and religious freedom in two areas, religious communities advocating for racial justice and elected officials prioritizing religious freedom, the index reveals a significant leadership gap. So let's talk first about Americans weathering storms anchored by faith. What did you find in that area? Yeah, so in this area, you know, in 2020, it's hard to find anything that's really stable or anything that can really provide stability. We saw stability in two areas. The first of those was Americans' support for religious freedom. So the index is made up of 21 questions that stay the same every year, and that's kind of what makes it an index and what makes it so we can track changes over time. And there's a set of 16 questions in there that kind of have the same format. And, for example, of those 16 questions, all all 16 of them had above 60% support for the religious freedom that they were they were describing. So that's really indicative of continued support, continued strength in those areas. You know, that, that did not change significantly from, from last year, our first year. And then also the religion, religion is providing stability to people during the pandemic. So 62% of respondents said that their faith had been important to them during the pandemic. One dem- demographic group that was really interesting in there uh, that was different from the average was Gen Z respondents, so younger respondents were more likely, actually, to say that their faith had been important to them during the pandemic. Uh, we also saw that respondents over 65 were more likely than the average to say that their faith had been important, but uh, respondents uh, over 65 are usually more faithful and, uh, and are more at risk during the pandemic. So the Gen Z response there was both uh, surprising and encouraging, I think, that that group relied on their faith to, to navigate the difficulties of the pandemic. 
What impact did the closures early on in the pandemic, earlier this year, when, when the churches um, had to shut their doors and we, we, had, we were limited to mass online, uh, did that come in at all, or, or people were still relying on that, or how did that show up at all, if it did? Yeah, I think that did show up. You know, we, we asked um, about we asked people about uh, really the reopenings and what priority houses of worship should have during reopenings in the pandemic. And people wanted uh, houses of worship to have a fair shake. They didn't want uh, governments to treat houses of worship worse than businesses that we saw, as we saw in many cases. And I think more broadly, you know, it's unfortunate that it seemed like governments were treating houses of worship and and congregations as part of the problem uh, during the pandemic. But that's not the way that the American people see it, based on our survey. Uh, more than more than sixty percent said the people of faith and religion are part of the solution. And I think that's so true. And I think. Um, Religious people know that, you know, the houses of worship aren't just a place of worship, they're a place of solace, they're a place of community, and a place where people gain strength to face the challenges of the pandemic. And so the American people definitely see houses of worship as part of the solution, where governments, I think, sometimes were getting it wrong, seeing them as part of the problem. Right, where they're still getting it wrong. In the Diocese of Brooklyn, for example, now they have to keep taking up their concerns on the restrictions on churches, mm-hmm. even though there haven't been cases of COVID traced to the churches because they've been uh, practicing, you know, the social distancing and, and doing what they need to do sanitation-wise, but yet they're still being greatly restricted and limited to small groups, really small groups of people. So obviously certain areas of the government, they're not getting the message. Um, we're talking with Caleb Lyman, who's the Director of Research of the Beckett Fund for Religious Liberty on the second annual Religious Freedom Index. Now, this is great information and gives us a pulse of where we're at in this country about how important faith is, despite what the culture tries to sell us every single day. How do you use this information, and for what purpose, in addition to just letting us know that basically we're not alone, what can this be used for? Can we take this to government leaders? Can we do something with this to push back on some of these restrictions that, that are, are ratcheting up again, ratcheting up again because of increased numbers of uh, COVID cases? Yeah, I think there are a lot of uses for the index, and and our the, one of the main reasons we uh, launched the index last year was that we just really felt that, especially in the world of polling, there was a lack of uh, of a wide spectrum of religious liberty issues being polled. So, so often in the polls, we see that, and in the news, it makes it seem that religion and religious liberty only is important to people when it's not a controversial or hot topic. But from our 25-plus years of litigation experience with Beckett, we know that there are so many different areas where religious freedom matters, and that stems from the fact that religion is a, is a part of American culture and American identity. So with the index, we're hoping to start conversations with people in academia, government, and, and many other places about the role of religion in people's lives and the way that, you know, most likely your neighbor, if you support religious liberty, your neighbor probably agrees with you. And it is a broadly supported freedom. It's not something that falls along partisan lines. And it's really important to see this because we know, for example, I want to go back to the the Diocese of Brooklyn. The bishop there, DiMarzio, was saying when he was uh, fighting and still is fighting this situation in court, saying that religion by government officials in in many areas, especially on the East Coast, is not seen, quote-unquote, as something that's essential. And -hmm. that's a big problem. Yeah. Yeah, I think... That, that we talked about that a little bit in in our index report. That that it's interesting that we see every piece of society right now being broken down into essential and non-essential services. And the pieces of survey that I think relates this 
really well is we asked a couple of questions about, you know, how, how fundamental is religion to, to people's lives? And this goes to our second key finding that religious identity cannot be quarantined. We asked people whether they thought that for some religion uh, is part as a fundamental part of who I am, and furthermore, whether it should be protected accordingly. And 60% of respondents agreed that for some people, yes, religion is part of who I am, and because of that, it should be protected accordingly. So it's not just something that you can, you know, put in a drawer or, or put on pause for the pandemic. Religion is, uh, is a fundamental part of human's identity, and, and we really agree that it should be protected accordingly. Which, again, goes into theme number two, which is religious identity can't be quarantined, right? Exactly, yeah. The, it's, it's not something that stops during the pandemic, you know, the, this idea that, that you can just uh, that you can just stop religious services whenever you want, and people will be fine. Is not supported by the American people. And furthermore, one other interesting thing that we found there was that a majority of Americans think that religious freedom is inherently public. It's not something that's inherently private. And again, another kind of encouraging thing there with uh, demographics was that Gen Z respondents were actually more likely to say that religious freedom is something that's inherently public and that extends beyond just houses of worship or uh, what you do in your home, but it's something that impacts how your work life goes, your extends uh, to social media and other places of the public square. So yeah, people understand that it's not just something that you do on Sunday or whatever day of the week is a holy day, and it's not just something that happens at your house of worship, but it's a part of who people are and their whole lives. So give us a little bit more detail, Caleb. And by the way, we're talking with Caleb Lyman, who is a director of research for the Beckett Fund for Religious Liberty. How do you conduct this index? Well, what goes into it in terms of the questioning and the people? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the index itself is made up of 21 questions. And those 21 questions stay the same each year. They pull on more than, instead of focusing on just uh, the hot-button issues of the day, they focus on underlying religious freedom principles. So we're pulling on everything in that group from uh, from religious practice in the workplace to religious pluralism and uh, having room for different religious beliefs and a lot more. Um, and so those 21 questions, like I said, stay the same every year. And in addition to those, we asked more than 50 questions, other questions in the survey that provide a lot of the context each year around those questions. We sample uh, 1,000 American adults using in, uh, an online sample panel. So this is the same sort of process that Pew, Gallup, and, and other best practice polls use uh, to gather samples. And so we have a nationally representative sample of American adults. And those 21 questions, they break down statistically into six different dimensions. Uh, those include, like I said, religious pluralism, religion in society, uh, issues of church and state, religion in action, and, and a few others. And having those same questions asked every year, the real benefit that we'll get from the index for just in the second year, but you know, as the years continue, we'll be able to see those, uh, the way that those 21 questions change and the way those dimensions change, and we get an index composite score each year from those dimensions, and so we'll be able to see how that changes. So we'll be able to get both a big macro view, trends in religious liberty, as well as a micro view of the ways that things are changing within individual questions and individual demographics year to year. Considering, Caleb, how different this, this picture, which is very positive in, in how Americans feel about religious freedom and, and faith issues, uh, compared to what the culture and the uh, media are, are selling us or trying to get us to believe, 
Are they picking up on this story at all? Is it receiving coverage outside of circles like ours? Yeah, I think it's it's beginning to, you know, it's it's new. The index is just in its second year. But mm-hmm. we definitely have got positive feedback um, from from people outside just the typical religious freedom circles. And I think the fact that it is showing something that people are not seeing every day in the news is definitely causing a lot of interest. So we hope that grows uh, as as the trends develop and as we get, build a larger and larger uh, body of survey sample. And, yeah, I think it's it's growing and will continue to grow. And, and the surprise factor that, it, yeah, it shows something that I think a lot of people actually feel intuitively but are not seeing reflected in news um, will we'll help that. We'll help that grow and will help gain attention for the index. Appreciate this. This was uh, very informative and uplifting. Caleb, thanks again. Give us the link on where we find the report before we let you go. Yeah, thank you so much, Teresa. The link is beckettlaw.org slash index. All right. Caleb Lyman is the Director of Research for the Beckett Fund for Religious Liberty, and results of the second annual Religious Freedom Index are in. We'll be right back on Catholic Connection to let you know what's coming up on a Friday. Can you believe it's almost Friday? We'll be right back. Do you own popular index mutual funds or ETFs? If so, you're automatically owned shares of companies that conflict with your moral beliefs. Ave Maria Mutual Funds are managed to conform to pro-life and pro-family values. Long-term investors can invest in the no-load Ave Maria Mutual Funds. The experienced professional portfolio managers make decisions based on investment fundamentals and pro-life values. You can learn more about Ave Maria Mutual Funds today at 866-AVE-MARIA or visit AveMariaFunds.com. Dr. Ray Garendi. Most experts don't think like you do. Go to the computer. Type in child, self-esteem, search. Last time I looked, 31 million options. The experts believe self-esteem is the preeminent moral virtue. Type in child, humility, search. Crickets. Why? When was the last time you heard a secular expert talk about humility? But that's at the very core of the virtues we want to teach our children. Always remember one thing. When an expert tells you how to raise your child, you have to ask a question. Is this expert of the same worldview that I am? Does he or she value the same virtues I want to impart to my children? This program is brought to you in part by Charity Mobile, a proud partner of Ave Maria Radio for over 15 years. Charity Mobile is the pro-life cell phone company and has sent nearly $2 million to thousands of pro-life charities. 4G LTE coverage is available nationwide, and 5% of your monthly plan price goes to your favorite pro-life charity. A video introduction is available at CharityMobile.com. Charity Mobile, everyday living, effortless giving. CharityMobile.com. Beautiful notebook by our friend and talk show host and very popular speaker and teacher, the one, the only, Father John Ricardo, rescued the unexpected and extraordinary news of the gospel and is published by our friends at Word Among Us. Father, so excited to talk about this new book. Good to have you on the program again. Thanks, Teresa. All right, so let's talk. I mean, we have a need for anybody to know the gospel, right? No, no, we're all fine. We all get it. You know, we're just we're just sitting around chatting, right? (laughs) I'm good, thanks. Yeah. (laughs) 
Oh, my goodness. Well, I, I couldn't wait to talk to you this morning. I have so many questions. But first of all, I do want to dive into this book because at the end of the day, this is all that matters. That's all that matters. Jesus. Yeah, and, you know, like, I, I just firmly agree with, uh, I'm not sure if you've had a chance to read, there's another phenomenal book out called uh, From Christendom to Apostolic Mission, which was published by the University of Mary Press out in uh, North Dakota. And, um, I mean, it's a phenomenal book, but the author makes a point in there that he argues the most urgent evangelistic task of our age is to um, proclaim the gospel in a compelling way. And I, I can't agree with him more. And I think, uh, you know, I've heard Al Cresta and you and others just say things like, I think a lot of people in our culture today, they go something like, hmm, Christianity, nothing really to see, move along. Mm-hmm. <laughs> when in mm-hmm. fact, the, the gospel is anything but ordinary and anything but boring. Um, the tragedy is we've just somehow made it that. And so we've got to find a way to proclaim the gospel uh, so that its shockingness and its unexpected, extraordinary news can really kind of burst forth. So that's what this is an attempt to do, and it's all the more urgent, I think, because stories are are how we learn, and there is another narrative that's being told right now. Mm -hmm. And so this is the way to counter that. It's by proclaiming the real narrative and the Christian way of seeing and right off the bat in, in the introduction, Father, you're talking about, and this is a theme for your ministry, Acts 29, which I love, God wants his world back. Explain what you mean a little bit by that. Yeah, so we stole that from Archbishop Vigneron here in Detroit. Um, <laughs> he, he says... He, he doesn't mind. Often. No, I mean, I no. just steal everything. So, um, and, and more accurately, it's God wants his family back. And so, well, that kind of begs the question, well... What happened to his family, or what happened to his world? And this is one of the this is one of the most challenging parts of the book, I think, and it's the most challenging part of the gospel, is to come to grips with the reality of the fall, and the reality of evil, and the power of evil, which is not equal to God, but like what in the world has happened that everything is in the state that it is right now mm-hmm. and has been for, you know, almost from the very beginning. And, uh, in fact, uh, I love the word among us. I've uh, been fortunate enough to write a number of books with them now, uh, I guess three, but um, we had a whole series of really challenging back and forth on this section on the fall because uh, as they were reading it, they kept saying things like, you know, this is really kind of dark. <laughs> and I'm like, mm-hmm. uh yeah, it is. It's extraordinarily dark, right? And until we understand what's happened, which has put God's world or his family in the situation that it is, we're never going to really understand who Jesus is other than just, I don't know, somebody who came to tell us some stories and tell us to love and do some miracles. And that isn't why Jesus came. Yeah, I'm thinking of a quote from um, Bishop DiMarzio of Brooklyn. Uh, he said this on Friday, and of course they're in court fighting the, the terrible restrictions in New York where mm. they're only letting you know, 10 people or less at Mass, which is just insanity. So religion is being treated as a second-class part of society. 
That's what Bishop Nicholas DiMarzio of Brooklyn said on Friday, warning that New York's most recent coronavirus measures are not reasonable. He told the Catholic News Agency, too many people today, and this is getting to your point, Father, see religion as a problem of society. In the past, you would think the nonprofit sector religion was a pillar of the society, along with the business community and the government. He said this is what held society together. Now, that kind of thesis of how society works is long since gone. Wow. Yeah, well, this, that, that, the demonic lie from the beginning, right, is that God is the enemy of your freedom right, and the enemy of your happiness. And as the attacks against Christianity, um, which have been going on around the world for a long time, we just haven't really noticed tragically in our country, but as they ramp up in our own country, that is exactly the root of it. You are the enemy of freedom. You're the enemy of happiness. You, you people must be <laughs> canceled Right when in fact mm-hmm. no, God is the giver of life, the author of happiness, and the only one who can ensure our real freedom. Amen to that. We're chatting but with that, Father. That, oh, that, go ahead, finish. That, that gets I'm sorry. into whole yeah. demonic strategy, right? And mm-hmm. so, um, yeah, that's if we can really. So you know, we, you and I, we're having this conversation right now with the backdrop of everything that's happening in the culture, right? And. One of the things, this is that book again uh, from Christendom to Apostolic Mission, one of the things that uh, the author points out in there is that um, this other narrative that's being told in our culture right now, and and there's no one narrative, but it's got some commonalities, and one of the common uh, things that it is always pointing to is it denies the fall. So it, it denies the reality of, you know, spiritual beings and the reality of the devil, and the problem with that is once you deny the fall and you look outside and you see evil clearly happening, you have to find somebody to blame. Mm-hmm. And that's what's happening. They're, you know, they're, it, it's the Democrats or it's the Republicans or it's, it's the men or it's the homophobes or it's the whoever. Like those people are to blame. It's the pro-life people. And we have to silence them. Whereas, in fact, no, the enemy is the enemy. The enemy is Satan, who has, you know, at the beginning of our race, tricked us into selling ourselves into slavery to, to powers that we cannot compete against. This is, I think, the most important part of the book, is to understand why it is that we need God, because we are slaves without him to two things, especially death which I can't, I can't escape, and absent the power of the resurrection, it will hold me bound, and sin, which I think is actually just as easy to prove to people, like, what do you mean I'm a slave to sin? Well, just ask somebody, like, have you ever done anything that you knew you shouldn't do, you didn't want to do, maybe you even hated doing, but you did it anyway? And people go, oh, yeah, like all the time. Mm-hmm. Well, you ever wonder why? Because we're slaves to sin. And so the Lord Jesus comes. God becomes a man, not to tell stories and not to do miracles, although he did those things. God becomes a man to go to war and to rescue his family and to deliver us from these powers that we can't compete against. And that's why this is such extraordinary news. Mm-hmm. That's the real narrative. And that's why it's so important and urgent for us both to know and then to proclaim Amen. The book is Rescued, the Unexpected and Extraordinary News of the Gospel by Father John Mercado with the foreword 
by Scott Hahn. I think it's very revealing if we look at things that are happening in the culture and the response to it. For example, so much was revealed with the response to Amy Coney Barrett. They weren't as um, much in an attack mode on quote-unquote Catholicism directly, but the response to her in the culture and the condescending questions she received was that you cannot possibly be a devout woman of faith, raise a family, have a career, and be normal. There is something wrong with you. Because they have been, and I think a lot of this comes from a place of pain where people have bought into exactly what you just said, the lies that you have to be God, you have to play God, you have to have ultimate control, even though we don't, and thinking that we do. But then here comes this woman, extremely successful on all fronts while maintaining her faith. And she's just so different, and they just don't know how to respond. So therefore, well, this she's got to have issues. She's got to be this crazy, backward, oppressed woman who's a handmaid and, you know, in servitude to, to, to all men somewhere. It's, it's crazy, Father, the reaction. It's crazy, and it's illogical, because it's, um, it's as if, wait a minute, she's the only one with a particular view? <laughs> in other words, it's, it's, it's presuming that because you don't have faith, you don't have a bias. Well, that's just not true. Mm-hmm. She's just telling you what her, how she sees reality. Um, everybody sees reality through lenses, and hers happen to be shaped by a biblical worldview and by reason, which are in harmony with each other. Somebody who doesn't have faith, that's fine, but don't pretend to tell me that you don't have any biases. Everybody has biases. Mm-hmm. Everybody sees the world a particular way. And she's getting called out for hers, and everybody else's who, d- who doesn't have, you know, either a Catholic faith or a Christian faith or any faith, um, they're somehow claiming to be, quote-unquote, neutral. Well, that's just rubbish. Right. Nobody's yeah. neutral. Absolutely. More with Father John Mercado, all about his new book. It's from Word Among Us. We'll put a link to it at the uh, Catholic Connection archive section. You can also find it at our bookstore and the EW Tam Religious Catalog. And it's rescued the unexpected and extraordinary news of the gospel by Father John Mercardo. More with Father John when we come back. fighting the crowds, isn't it so much easier to hop online and do your shopping in the comfort of your own home? Did you know that you can help the Guadalupe Radio Network when you shop online? All you need to do is shop on Amazon Smile and 0.5% of your purchase goes to the GRN. Just go to AmazonSmile.com and select La Promesa Foundation as your nonprofit of choice. La Promesa is the parent company of Guadalupe Radio. It's that simple to give a little extra help to the Guadalupe Radio Network. I've never heard y'all before. There is this lady with her big white SUV, and on the back of the windshield is this big cross with y'all's radio station underneath. Put it on y'all's radio station anyhow, and then it starts talking about the saints and how the saints give you signs, and they lead you into the right direction. I just appreciate you and God for putting that sign in my life and letting me know that it, it is Him, and it's okay. The Guadalupe Radio Network. Radio for your soul. This is Lynn Oswald, President of the Guadalupe Radio Network. On behalf of all the GRN family of employees, we hope and pray that you and your family have a very blessed Christmas season and New Year. 
You, our GRN family of listeners, have always been instrumental in bringing the pure light of Christ to so many through your prayers and generous support during every year the GRN has been on the air. Each time a hand reaches out to turn on the radio and the Catholic truths begin flowing through the airwaves, you have set a light aflame that glows brightly in this time of darkness that our nation and world are going through. So as we celebrate the Christmas season and find hope in the arrival of a new year, we reaffirm our commitment with your help to keep that flame ablaze through all the GRN stations. This is your GRN Family Minute. We are always radio for your soul. Welcome back, Father John Ricardo, Acts 29, and we'll tell you all about how to find his ministry online as we wrap up this interview, Rescued, the Unexpected and Extraordinary News of the Gospel, Father's latest book from our friends at Word Among Us. Father, we were talking about the uh, Good News Cruise, and you're going to be a part of that again in 2022. We look forward to that. We were talking during the break about the way things are are put forward, and, and you brought up the story. Northern Iowa student government rejecting the request for approval of the Students for Life group there. After a long and charged discussion in which the members attacked the views of pro-life students and the student body basically saying that they're a hate group. This is what we're living in right now. Your thoughts? Well, so let me let me try to put this back into the context of right. uh, the gospel. So, so I'll back up really, really fast. So I, I gave a presentation a couple of years ago, and Curtis Martin, one of the founders of Focus, was there. And I went up to Curtis afterwards, and I said, hey, I would love your feedback on this. And he said a couple of gracious words, and then he said something to me which really shaped this book. And he says, um, you have to find a way to make this repeatable. What you just did was really good, but it's not repeatable. And so I went, oh, that's like really helpful feedback. And so for me, the way to make the gospel repeatable is to simplify the heck out of it and to reduce it to four words, created, captured, rescued, and response. The story you're talking about, I think this is where the response piece comes in. You know, as Catholics, I think in, in particular, maybe as Christians in general, we often struggle with, what am I supposed to be doing after I've had this encounter with Jesus? Like, what do I do now? You know, other than, like, get holy, which is really mm-hmm. important, and grow in virtue, which is really important. Like, what's the mission of a disciple? And the mission of a disciple is to um, be an active agent in Jesus's hands for transformation, for recreation, um, for, uh, C.S. Lewis would call it, sabotage. Uh, And one of the ways we talk about it in Acts 29 is like leaders of the resistance. And and those things can become, um, they can lend themselves to confusion so that no one gets confused, you know, that... The, the quote-unquote weapons we use are truth and goodness and beauty and dignity and integrity and forgiveness and reconciliation. But a huge part of, like, think of the resistance movement, say, in World War II, was simply telling the story, telling the real truth, telling the news of what's happening. And uh, what those people are doing back at Northern Iowa, for example, that's an effort to be an active missionary, to tell the real story the real story in this case about the dignity of a human being, which suddenly is now hate speech. Mm-hmm. So we're, we're trying to, 
you know, our full name for the work that we do is Acts 29, and then it's technically Acts 29, mobilizing for mission. And I think disciples have been on the sidelines for way too long. I mean, you've been doing phenomenal work with all that you've been trying to uh, inform people of uh, the media and the importance of the media and how it could be used, should be used, often tragically is used. Um, you've done a heroic job in mobilizing people to understand the dignity of life and marriage and so many issues. But this is every disciple's job. Right. Like, to, to let the Lord use me in my own sphere of influence. Like, so those kids are college kids. They're trying to influence the people who are around them. They're not trying to impose something on them. They're trying to simply say, let's just look at the reality that science tells us about what happens at the moment of conception. And then to just tease out the thoughts and go, well, wait a minute. Like, why do I care about the poor? Or why do I care about the elderly? Or why do I care about the homeless? Oh, because they're human. Okay, great. Rightly so. Why do I care about the unborn? Oh, because they're human. That's why. And either all human beings are persons, or only some are. And if it's only some, how in the world do we come up with the criteria to determine who makes the cut? And what they're doing, and what so many people in the pro-life movement are doing, is simply trying to say, if everybody doesn't make the cut, then it necessarily means somebody in quote-unquote power is determining who's good enough to merit rights. And that's a dangerous place to be. Amen. Versus all human beings have rights, because all human beings are persons. But that's the mission of the disciple, and so those kids... It, at that university, they're trying to live out the missionary mandate in their own way. Right. It, every single one of us, whether I'm a stay-at-home mom or I'm a farmer, I'm a doctor, I'm a college football coach, whatever I am, like God wants to use me in my own sphere of influence to let his light shine through me so as to help others understand who he is, why he made us, what we're all about, and to do what I can to bring everything back, best as I can, into conformity with how God the Father created it to be. That's exactly that's what the Pope said yesterday. That's in what his, we're living in. Yeah, his Angelus yesterday message, all about the primacy of God. But, Father, here's the thing that, that breaks my heart, and we only have about three minutes left, so I'd like you to respond to this. And I'm losing sleep over this, because the people who are emailing me about the election... They never, rarely, they don't mention anything about the common good. They don't mention anything about witnessing. I have to be very direct and say, those who are writing me are saying it's their own personal feelings of what they like or don't like about the candidate, or this is not that big of a deal, but I'm going to do this because I feel this way. No mention of the common good. No mention of a missionary disciple attitude. Zip, zero, nada. It's about me, myself, and I. And, and to me, that is heartbreaking that I have to explain it's about the common good. It's not just about you. I have to explain this to people who say that they're Catholic. At least they tell me they are, and they're going to Mass, so I, I can only assume who knows what, what the truth is. But they're telling me that this is why they're voting a particular way, because it's all about their feelings. Right. Well, feelings are, are powerful, obviously, right? And they motivate so much what we do. I always think of, here's the key, like, I think it's Peter Craig who uses the image of the train, you know? And he says, so feelings are important, but feelings are supposed to be, if you use the image of a train, like the caboose. 
<laughs> the engine is supposed to be reason, like how things truly are. And the engine's supposed to drive my will. That's the second car in the train. And then my feelings are supposed to be at the end. Unfortunately, all too often, like this is me sometimes when I get in trouble, right? The feelings are the engine and they're pulling my will and like reason, reality is like the car is uncoupled and it's like two miles down the track, right? Mm -hmm. And that's what we're seeing, I think, in, um, that, that's no surprise. We, <laughs> we've been taught to live by, in so many different ways, how we feel and it's getting played out right now. And when we see, you know, figures who don't arouse great feelings within us, then we, we don't necessarily act in accord with uh, reality and reason and whatnot. Yeah. We have lots to pray for. Amen. Nonetheless, let's end with this, right? Because here's the key. Cause, so Jesus is Lord, not will be Lord, is Lord, is Lord. right now of heaven mm -hmm. and of earth. And all authority has been given to him, and he is not anxious right now, and he's not afraid right now, and he's not nervous right now. And so in the midst of everything that's going on, it's important to remember that and to remember that he created you and me to be alive right now at this moment and to be used as agents in his hands. So let's let him use us. Amen. For such a time as this, as was told to Esther, rescue the unexpected and extraordinary news of the gospel from our friend, wonderful teacher and leader, Father John Ricardo. What's the website for X29, Father? A-C-T-S-X-X-I-X.org. X29 right. and Roman numerals.org. Thanks, Father. We'll be back. Just a second. The Catholic. So, Dave, let me get this straight. We're starting a new network-wide show with you teaching the Summa Theologica by St. Thomas Aquinas, and I'm your co-host, and I get free lessons on the Summa live on the radio? There's got to be a catch. No, there's no catch. It's going to be a fun show where we're going to learn a lot about our journey of life focused on our final end. The show is called Back to the Father, and the first show is Friday, January 8th at 2 p.m. Central. I hope everyone joins in to hear me give Sissel weekly quizzes live on the radio. I knew there was a catch. I'm just kidding. I actually was gone from the Catholic Church for 35 years. I want to get to heaven. I don't know if I will. I mean, I worry about it. But I not only want to get to heaven at the moment of my death, I want to find as much heaven as possible here on earth. So I need help. I don't know why I turned on my radio, because I've kept my radio off for years. And once I turned it on, I was absolutely hooked. The Guadalupe Radio Network, radio for your soul. I'll bet you know by now that Amazon Smile is a great way to support your favorite charity. And supporting the Guadalupe Radio Network while you shop is easy. Step one, just start off at smile.amazon.com. Step two, choose La Promesa Foundation as your charity. La Promesa Foundation is the parent company of Guadalupe Radio Network. And step three, enjoy your shopping. Amazon will donate a portion of your purchase to the La Promesa Foundation, and it doesn't cost you any extra. La Promesa Foundation and Guadalupe Radio Network, thank you. Looking for a Catholic university where the greatest works of Western and Catholic tradition are the foundation for learning, all in an environment that is faithful to the magisterium? Recommended by the Cardinal Newman Society, the University of Dallas offers an exceptional liberal arts education, preserving the wisdom of the past while preparing students for world-changing futures. Academically excellent, always faithful. Apply today at udallas.edu.
Restless Heart Might Struggle with Life and Sexuality, published by our friends at Sophia Institute Press. And really interested in talking with the author of this uh, amazing book, because I think this is something that a lot of people, uh, to which a lot of people can relate right now because of um, the issues that are going on in our culture and that keep heating up. Kim Zember is with us. She's the author. And Kim, you were very frank in this book, but you also really laid out um, something I think that a lot of people may be struggling with, but don't know how to bring it out. Because once they say that they are struggling with, let's say, a, a same-sex attraction, they're automatically maybe told, oh, it's, you know, you're, you're oppressed or don't feel that way. And there's a lot of, um, they're, they're torn, I would imagine. So why did you sit down and, and write this very um, empowering story, an important story? Good morning. Thanks for joining us. Oh, absolutely. Thanks for having me on. Um, you know, it was honestly something I did not, from my own personal desire, want to do. Um, it was hard enough to live through. Uh, and walk through the first time, let alone, you know, rewriting everything and, and the details. Um, but to be honest, I, you know, just, just time with the Lord, I, I really felt like the Lord was saying, do you think you're the only one that went through this, Kim? Uh, and do you think you're the only one that ever will? And at that point, it was kind of a choice for selfish or not selfish, um, you know, who, who am I going to live for? And I thought, you know what, if one person can be blessed, um, by reading my journey and the struggle and maybe avoid <laughs> some of the things that, that I stepped into um, with the Lord's help, uh, avoid those things, then it's worth it. And so that's really why I wrote it. Um, I'm not an author. <laughs> I'm not a writer uh, in any, any sense of the word. Um, but I, I did feel that the Lord was saying, hey, there are more souls that are struggling. You, you are not alone in this, Kim. And, and when I was going through all of this in my own journey, I felt very alone. And I needed a book um, that someone could understand. I didn't want someone to tell me what to do. I just wanted to know what they did and what worked and what didn't. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that's why I wrote. So without giving everything away, because it's an important book and we want people to get it, Restless Heart, My Struggle with Life and Sexuality, uh, give us kind of a, of, of a summary. You, you share your testimony here, but then it's also you also have a lot of, I think, really good insights for folks struggling as you did. Yeah, I mean, the overall, you know, my heart was after, my my heart desired the Lord, but didn't desire to do what the Lord had said. <laughs> um, it's kind of like St. Augustine. I didn't read him when I was young. I read him in my later years, um, actually last year. Um, but, you know, it's it's that whole thing, Lord, make me chase, just not right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I had real desires. I was raised in the church, but I had real desires that I did not make up. Um, or at least I don't believe I made up. Uh, I didn't have any sexual abuse or physical abuse in my life, so I can't pinpoint, um, and I went through therapy, everything, I can't pinpoint why and where um, these attractions to women came from. All I know is I had them, and I didn't know what to do with them. And so, really, it was just years of of hiding, not only from others, uh, but also for myself. It was something I didn't want to deal with. Um, I didn't want to look at, I didn't want to be... Um, put into a box of, okay, this is, this is who she is. Um, and so I was, I was wrestling with so many things, which I, I feel are detailed in the book, uh, those different wrestles. And, you know, so it was really, um, it was really horrible, uh, to be honest. I don't, I don't have many, many words for what I was experiencing, but there was so much beauty in the midst to anytime I turned to God, um, for his help, there was always relief, but, but, um, it was always a struggle still. It didn't take away the pain um, and the difficulties that I did face. Um, but the issue was is I just wouldn't surrender everything to God. 
You know, mm-hmm. I would give him pieces of my life. And every time I gave him a piece, uh, I found solace in, in that. But it was me holding back, a, you know, a child holding back from their good father all that they are. And so um, I think you could see throughout the book, the more I gave him pieces of my life, um, the more that I started to find true life. And, um, and that's still a journey that I'm on now. Um, but in that, I think that these struggles is what I really wanted to highlight because I think that there's, I know that there's so many people in the world that are struggling with the very same things I struggled with. And to know that you're not alone, um, and it doesn't make it okay in what you're doing, but just to know that you're not alone, you're not the only one, um, but you're actually one of many that struggle with this. Um, and still have the desire for God. Because, you know, we have a society right now, whether we live in the United States or even abroad, um, that just says, if you feel this way, then live it out. Live you it know, out, God right. loves you, yeah. didn't make mm-hmm. any mistakes, yeah. Mm-hmm. And and I, trust me, I went through that. You'll see that in the book. Um, but why didn't I have peace, right? Well, you don't have peace when you separate yourself from the Prince God. of Peace, right? right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so Jesus himself is the Prince of Peace. And so I wasn't following his ways, I was following my ways. Um, and it was it was on October seventeenth. I won't go into detail, but that I finally said, "God, I surrender. I'm done playing God of my own life." And and really looking back, that's what I was doing, um, not intentionally. Um, I didn't try to be God, but the way I was living, I was playing God of my own life. Of whatever I felt, my feelings were my God. My desires were my God, instead of my God being over my desires and the Lord being Lord of my feelings. Um, and so it was October 17, 2014, that I, I was sick and tired of being sick and tired. Um, I knew that I was not created to be depressed and sad um, and living a double life and, and all of this. And so I just said, I, I was done, really. It was a surrender of defeat, almost, um, but free will. I said, Lord, I surrender. Be Lord over my whole life. I give you everything that I am because I'm horrible at being my own God. And, That's and it I for everybody, though, Kim, dark. right? I mean, for anything that we're going oh. through in our own life. I mean, that was it for me. I mean, mine was my, my career and, and, you know, being yeah. uh, in the secular media and thinking that that was it. And I was sacrificing so much and, and, and just li- mm-hmm. living a, a crazy life, um, you know, for, but for different reasons. And, and again, when right. I finally surrendered, that's when God started to say, okay, now we can, now we can work with you. Okay. Now we got some work exactly. to do. But this is what's so important mm-hmm. is you, you talk about that surrender and that surrendering. Yeah. That is it, the surrender. And people look at surrender as a four letter word. But was it just exhausting? Do you think that led to that point? What was it for you? Oh, it was so much. It was, yes, I was exhausted. Um, I wasn't happy. I didn't have peace. Um, it was all the things that I knew that I was built and created to have that I didn't have. Um, and I didn't have a joy. I really didn't. I mean, I was, I was happy and I was doing things, but it wasn't a sustaining joy that, that I really believed I was created for. That doesn't mean I didn't have a life free of pain. <laughs> um, right. No matter what, we have pain and we have struggles, but this was just different. It was inside. And, and honestly, it was, the fact that I knew I was running from God, um, and I was just done running. I was exhausted. And, um, you know, like the prodigal son, you, you just get tired of eating pig slop. And, you know, before I could even truly make it back to the Father, uh, his arms were already wide open waiting for me. And, and that is the message to all of us, um, because it's true. No matter what we're like you just said, I mean, it's not just same-sex attraction. I have people reach out from all over the world that don't have same-sex attraction. They're like, I read this book, and oh my gosh, did it speak to me? 
Mm-hmm. I'm holding on to my kids too tight, or I'm holding on to my career, like you right. had mentioned, right. or mm-hmm. all these things. Because it wasn't just same-sex attraction that I was struggling with. I was stru- struggling with materialism. I was stru- struggling with selfishness, with pride, with, I mean, so much. And so um, I just tried to be transparent in that so someone else could maybe relate and say, okay, well, maybe I want to give this to the Lord, you know, and, and live in the fullness that Christ died for, right? It's, mm-hmm. He gave it all. Are we willing to give ourselves all to him so that we can live in the abundance of life he said that he paid for for us? And, and that is a call for all of us that is not just those with same-sex attraction. We're talking with author Kim Zemper, her book, Restless Heart, My Struggle with Life and Sexuality, from Sophia Institute Press. In, in terms of looking at our culture today, as you just said, the minute you're told whatever your desires are, uh, just do what you want to do with whomever, how many people, doesn't matter. It, it's all about one day you're a man, one day you're a woman, whatever you feel, just go with it. And I'm wondering, and, and this is what I kind of sense, and, and I see this a lot in my pro-life work. I see a lot of women and men who are, and I haven't had an abortion, but I've worked, I work with a lot of post-abortion uh, post-abortive mm-hmm. men and women, and I was pro-choice for a long time and, and very adamant about that, and then God, you know, uh, had to surrender that as well. But you see in anger, you see in people um, mm-hmm. struggling with, this is supposed to make me happy, but it doesn't, mm-hmm. and so you wonder if they've realized that, and, and there's a lot of anger out there, and I'm wondering, and you look at, at people who um, have same-sex attraction, and yet they're involved in, in, in so much angry activism a lot of the time. Do you mm-hmm. think part of it is that they're not at peace? I mean, I, I see the same thing, as I said, with post-abortion syndrome, but what do you think, because mm-hmm. you see a lot of the anger out there right now, where any time yeah. you mention, yeah. let's say, a story like yours or someone who maybe said, I wasn't happy in that life, they're attacked. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I think, I can't, of course, speak for other people of of where maybe this anger can come from, but I can speak for myself. I know I was always on the defense. I was always on the defense, and that had a lot to do with feeling attacked a lot of times, Um, even though that may have not been people's intentions. You know, I heard so often, you know, love the sinner, not the sin, and I'm like, okay, thank you for reminding me that I'm a sinner. (laughs) Thank you. Uh, That's really what I needed today, you know, and instead of loving me, uh, you kind of kept reminding me that I'm a sinner, and, and that is true, and we don't want to forget that, but there's such better ways to say that, so I think it really plays a role on, on both parties, you know, and, and for me, I, I do not use that, that phrase, that is not scripture, it's got a scriptural base, um, but I choose to say I can love someone and not love what they do, and that applies to all, and now I'm not focusing on, you know, we know Satan calls us by our sin, and God calls us by our name. Um, God always is a call for repentance, but it's the kindness of the Lord that leads to repentance. And so I think we as a society have um, a great job as, as Christians. Um, are we really displaying the kindness of the Lord that does lead people to repentance? If everybody thinks God is so angry at, at them, I don't know how many people are going to want to run to him. Because mm-hmm. that's not true. Yes, he is a just judge, absolutely. And I'm not going to pretend that he's not. But I think we've created is Jesus that is a hippie, and we're like, hey, peace and love, bro, everything's good, right, and high-fiving right. sinners and their sin. But then on the flip side, we have this Jesus who's a Hitler, right? And, yeah. oh, you're wrong, you're doomed. But, but he was neither of those. And so when we, when we separate God's love from his truth and his truth from his love, we've created a counterfeit Christ. Right. And in that, a counterfeit Christ saves no one. And so I think some of this anger that we're seeing is because 
we're not displaying the heart of the. Well, we haven't witnessed very well. We have so much witnessing to do, and no. we haven't. And and I think yeah. that was a big problem. And I keep using the the analogy with the pro life movement early on, where many women um, said that they didn't feel comfortable coming forward talking about their abortions because they were condemned. And now, right. thanks be to God, you have beautiful exactly. ministries such like the Silent No More campaign that allow women and mm-hmm. men to tell their stories. You know, God is merciful. He is about love, but He also one of my favorite verses in Scripture, Kim, is in Revelation where He's knocking on the door and says, "I." Stand at the door and knock. He's not. He's not pushing it down. He doesn't have no. you know a, a, a hammer and, and breaking it down and trying to push mm-hmm. his way in. And there's no doorknob in that beautiful painting that shows right. Christ standing at the door because we have to open our heart. It's all about free right. will. But we're not going to be happy until we submit to Him totally right. but he wants us to come to Him. He's loving. He's merciful, and yeah. He knows what's best for us. But it has to be our mm-hmm. choice. Absolutely. Well, and as St. Augustine says, our hearts are restless until they until rest, they rest in, the in thee. Yeah. You know, yeah. and so it is, and that is a choice. It's an invitation, the wedding feast, right? It's an invitation. Are we going to respond? And and so I pray as we're in this world, you know, um, just loving people and, and bringing people to Christ, uh, leading people to Christ, that we're not pulling people to Christ, that we are talking about the beautiful invitation that is available to all of us. What an important book you've written here, your story, and so many people, as you said, can relate on so many levels. Kim, we're out of time. Thank you so much. The book is Restless Heart, My Struggle with Life and Sexuality. You can get it from Sophia Press, and you can find it online, and you can also get it from uh, her website. What is your website, by the way, Kim? I wanted to give people a heads up on where they can find you if they want to have you speak. It's uh, OvercomeMIN for Ministries.com, OvercomeMIN. Beautiful. Well, Happy New Year, too. I hope we get back out there in person on the speaking circuit (laughs) someday. Amen. I hope you see you soon, my dear. All right. God bless you. Thanks for joining us. I know it's been early for you you in California. Beautiful book and a story, Restless Heart, of course, uh, from St. Augustine. My heart does not rest, Lord, until it rests in thee. Surrender to God. It's the best thing you can do. We both know it because we've done it, and we continue to do it every single day. It's not just a one-time thing. We'll be right back. People ask how they can care for older family members who can't fully care for themselves. One answer is Visiting Angels, America's choice in senior home care. Visiting Angels assists adults nationwide with 600 locations to continue living at home and not have to move into a nursing home. Their caregivers provide assistance in hygiene, meals, and light housework. Services are provided up to 24 hours per day, and you can select your caregiver before service begins. More information, including franchise opportunities, is on the web at visitingangels.com. How does freedom affect our actions? According to the Catholic Catechism, freedom makes us responsible for every act that we have directly willed. Despite her efforts to place all the blame on the serpent, Eve was directly responsible for initiating and committing original sin. She knew God had forbidden her to eat from the tree of good and evil, yet she did it anyway. Cain deliberately killed his brother Abel. King David deliberately committed both adultery and murder. None of the three were ignorant of the gravity of their acts, and there were no mitigating circumstances that diminished their responsibility. However, David was particularly remorseful when confronted with his guilt. The Catechism tells us that the right to the exercise of freedom, especially in moral and religious matters, is an inalienable requirement for the dignity of the human person. This is Peggy Stanton, and this has been the Order of Malta's Minute with the Catechism. Do you own popular index mutual funds or ETFs? If so, you're automatically own shares of companies that conflict with your moral beliefs. 
Ave Maria mutual funds are managed to conform to pro-life and pro-family values. Long-term investors can invest in the no-load Ave Maria mutual funds. The experienced professional portfolio managers make decisions based on investment fundamentals and pro-life values. You can learn more about Ave Maria mutual funds today at 866-AVE-MARIA or visit AveMariaFunds.com. If you have any questions about a program you heard today or maybe yesterday, or if you have a question about something we do here at Catholic Radio, just give us a little note at EWTN.com or AveMariaRadio.net. You can also find out some background information about the various programs. You can get updates on our radio and TV schedules. It's all there for you online. And remember, we are here to keep you connected to your Catholic faith. And as my dear, dear friend, and Catholic Radio colleague, Al Cresta always says, to help you remember to look at everything in our lives through the lenses of Scripture and the teachings of the Church. And remember what I always say, something I heard years ago, that our Catholic faith has to be everything to us. It has to come first. I'll never forget that. I heard a priest give a homily, and this was during one of the most contentious elections recently, and he said our Catholic faith shouldn't be a factor when we go into the voting booth, it should be the factor. Because, again, we have to look at everything through the lenses of Scripture and the teachings of our one holy Catholic and apostolic faith. Hope you enjoyed the program today, and we'll talk to you tomorrow on Catholic Connection. You've been listening to Catholic Connection with Teresa Tamio. Catholic Connection is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Our producer is Andrew Kruchek. For copies of this program or for more information, visit AveMariaRadio.net. That's A-V-E MariaRadio.net. Thanks for listening and join us next time for another edition of Catholic Connection. Catholic all the time. This is the Guadalupe Radio Network. Radio for your soul. So Dave, let me get this straight. We're starting a new network-wide show with you teaching the Summa Theologica by St. Thomas Aquinas, and I'm your co-host, and I get free lessons on the Summa live on the radio? There's got to be a catch. No, there's no catch. It's going to be a fun show where we're going to learn a lot about our journey of life focused on our final end. The show is called Back to the Father, and the first show is Friday, January 8th at 2 p.m. Central. I hope everyone joins in to hear me give Sissel weekly quizzes live on the radio. I knew there was a catch. I'm just kidding. Instead of fighting the crowds, isn't it so much easier to hop online and do your shopping in the comfort of your own home? Did you know that you can help the Guadalupe Radio Network when you shop online? All you need to do is shop on Amazon Smile and 0.5% of your purchase goes to the GRN. Just go to AmazonSmile.com and select La Promesa Foundation as your nonprofit of choice. La Promesa is the parent company of Guadalupe Radio. It's that simple to give a little extra help to the Guadalupe Radio Network. Blessed be God, blessed be His holy name, blessed be Jesus Christ, true God and true man, blessed be the name of Jesus. 
Blessed be his most sacred heart. Blessed be his most precious blood. Blessed be Jesus in the most holy sacrament of the altar. Blessed be the Holy Spirit of Paraclete. Blessed be the Great Mother of God, Mary Most Holy. Blessed be her holy and immaculate conception. Blessed be her glorious assumption. Blessed be the name of Mary, Virgin and Mother. Blessed be Saint Joseph, her most chaste spouse. Blessed be God in his angels and in his saints. Thanks for listening to KATH 910 AM, Frisco, Dallas, Fort Worth. Catholic Radio for your soul in North Texas on the Guadalupe Radio Network. Heard also at grnonline.com and on your smartphone.